Welcome to Geishlich Clinical Conversations, the regeneration podcast exactly like no other, where we join with the leading names in dentistry to discuss everything from ridge preservation to major bone augmentation. If you haven't done already, make sure you check us out on social media. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the uh, new Geishlich podcast. My name is Richard Bodymead, I'm the National Sales Manager for Geishlich UK. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by Professor Simon Wright, and we're recording from his practice, the Glen Ken Dental in sunny Bevington on the Wirral. Simon, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Very well, thank you, Richard. Great, thanks for inviting us here today. Just a little bit about uh, Professor Simon Wright. The, the practice here is uh, practice limited to implant dentistry. Simon is the clinical lead of the MSc in dental implantology in collaboration with Salford University and he's the director of the ICE Dental Hospital in Salford Keys. So our topic for today is alveolar ridge preservation. Simon was kind enough to lead our first hands-on at home session back in June, a, a post-COVID educational concept where delegates were sent a model and could follow a practical session from the comfort of their own home. It generated so much interest and questions, we wanted to spend some time delving back into the topic of ridge preservation and follow up on some unanswered questions. So Simon, I'll delve straight in. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your implant placement protocol? And for example, how many times would you undertake ridge preservation versus say early placement or an immediate placement? Yeah, so everything is obviously very patient specific and I do a very uh, detailed um, site assessment and aesthetic assessment. So it very much depends on the aesthetic demand of the patient um, anatomical considerations. Um, so uh, particularly um, I also assess the integrity of the socket. So in terms of the aesthetic demand it's have you got a high lip line, what's their soft tissue biotope like, is it thick or is it thin? So um, in terms of anatomical considerations it's things like um, what's the proximity of the vital structures and I suppose in terms of indications, really what I'm considering is uh, any time I don't want the ridge to resorb, because really that's the aim of um, alveolar ridge preservation, is you're trying to prevent the resorption as part of the normal remodeling process. Um, so it's really all of those things combined, really. Sure, okay. Um, and what is the likely outcome in your experience if you don't undertake a ridge preservation in a, in a delayed or a, a bridge scenario? So the, the aim of ridge preservation is to, is to prevent as much as possible the ridge resorbing. So I suppose the answer to your question is, is the ridge will resorb more so if you don't preserve it than if you do. And there's evidence, there's lots of studies done, you know, a lot done by Geistrick that um, show that you get less remodelling, less loss of bone volume if you do um, preserve the, the ridge. And of course we know um, that's much more, um, uh, has much more effect on the width of the ridge rather than the height of the ridge. And I guess taking that back to the impact on the patient, potentially it means a larger grafting procedure later down the line? Yeah, or even to the extreme if you're doing a bridge like you, 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 you highlighted there, you, you could get some, some recession and then some gaps underneath the bridge. Sure, okay. Um, lots of questions that followed on the hands-on at home that we did a couple of months ago. Um, a lot around the surgical technique. So um, 
when would you take a CBCT ahead of uh, specifically a rich preservation case? Again, this is very, very patient and very site specific. But my protocol is I tend not to take a CBCT prior to the extraction. I normally, um, I normally find the most beneficial imaging before the extraction to be a normal two-dimensional x-ray, periapical, for example. And then I would normally take the CT scan following the graft. So my normal protocol would be uh, a periapical of the tooth prior to the extraction, and then I would normally do a CT scan prior to the implant placement of the augmented ridge. Um, obviously, if I'm concerned about a proximity of vital structures or there's any strained anatomy to the root form, etc., then I would take a CT scan then. But normally, my go-to protocol would be just normal conventional imaging prior to the extraction. Sure, okay. And uh, yeah, lots of questions that came in regarding surgical technique. Getting fairly specific here. So, um, would you always create a buckle pocket for the membrane or would you consider limiting the membrane to just inside the socket? Well, we've got to think really about what the function of the, the membrane is here. And I see it really as twofold. First of all, it is to keep the particles, in, in, in Geistrick's case, into the socket. And secondly, it's acting as a cell-exclusive membrane to stop any connective tissue downgrowth into the socket. And the only way I can really guarantee that is by uh, creating a pocket and making sure that, that that membrane really is acting as a cell exclusive barrier. So yeah, I think the answer is whenever possible, I do try and create a pocket um, to make sure it provides that function. So making sure that you're excluding the soft tissues and sort of following that basic GBR principle. Exactly, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and sort of on a similar, uh, a similar vein really, related to the, the membrane use, would you ever leave the bioguide membrane exposed and, and would you consider any risks associated with this? Oh yeah, every time. If you, try and, if you try and advance a flap to cover the membrane, what you're effectively doing is you're thinning the keratinized mucosa and you want good, you know, healthy keratinized mucosa around um, an implant. So my routine, my standard protocol, is I leave the, the membrane um, exposed. And um, obviously along with that, you have to educate the patient in oral hygiene and, um, and making sure it stays nice and clean. But you do find that if, if, if the patient looks after it correctly, then you do get, um, it just granulates over nicely and you get a good, nice, thick, crustinized tissue. Is, is there any limit to how much could be exposed uh, in this sort of case, but, or in your experience, as long as the patient follows your instructions, it will keratinize over nicely? Um, as long as the membrane is stable, um, that's the key aspect of this. And so um, that's probably one of the reasons also why I tuck it under the, um, under the pocket, uh, in, into the pocket there. Um, I, don't, I don't see there is any, um, any limit really in terms of a normal extraction size um, defect. Again, just membrane stability, just the sort of the keys of, of the fundamentals of GBR, really, just respecting those. Exactly. And, and of course, that's why um, one of the sides of the membrane has the fluffy side, because that is stabilised by the, the blood clot. Mm. Great. Okay. Uh, a couple of similar questions here regarding techniques to, I suppose, enhance the bone regeneration process. So, and a couple of hot topics, particularly, um, what's your opinion on using technologies like, uh, like PRF? And also, in a sort of a similar vein, 
What is your experience? Do you think there's any benefit in mixing BIOS with locally harvested autogenous bone scrapings in ridge preservation? So I think there's a few key um, uh, items I'd like to draw out. The first, the first is that that um, when uh, we put the bone particles into the socket, um, they need to be mixed with something, um, and that. I find what works best is the patient's the patient's blood. Um, I've tried mixing it with the PRF, like you say, as well, and um, I do get very good results when I mix it with the blood or with PRF. Um, and that is one of the key things, really, and I can't stress this enough with ridge augmentation. You need to make sure the socket really does fill, fill with blood. Um, when I've done it with PRF, I have found that. Um, I get good, I get very good quality bone, um, but it's all anecdotal. It's very difficult to do any research around it because the, the results are so good. Um, anyway, it's difficult to, to to demonstrate a difference when you're using uh, PRF. Um, in terms of the second part of your question there, which was that was regarding the uh, mixing of bios with, with locally harvested autogenous bone. Yeah, I get the theory because you know the the bone has. You know, morphogenic proteins and all this sort of stuff in it. The, the, the problem is when you're doing ridge preservation is that you're not often or very rarely you're raising flaps. So where do you get the autogenous bone from? So it's not really part of my protocol. My protocol is very, very straightforward. Um, I do create the buckle pocket. I, um, I really ensure that, the, um, that there's bleeding in the socket. And if I have to physically stab the socket with a probe or something to create it bleed, I will do that. I then mix the, I mix the BIOS with um, a blood or, or the PRF um, serum. I then um, put the membrane, um, I tuck it in and I suture it up. And if I follow that protocol, um, I get very, very few complications and I get good, good quality bone to put my implants into. Um, the other thing which I think I need to highlight is that um, when we decide whether or not we're going to do risk preservation or not, we do have a look very carefully at the thickness of the, of the buccal plate. And um, if it's totally absent, then you need to think really about doing a staged augmentation procedure rather than just simply um, augmenting a, a socket. And conversely, if you have a really nice big thick buccal plate like you have sometimes in lower sevens or lower sixes, um, because it's fortified by the oblique ridge. Um, you don't often then need to do uh, ridge preservation because you've got a good intact bony socket that if, as long as you ensure you have a really good blood clot in there, um, that'll be sufficient. And that comes down to not only the, the, the site, but also the, the factors related to the patient, whether they've got a thick biotype, does that necessarily lead to them having a thicker buccal plate? Um, yeah, well, there is, there's some research to, to demonstrate exactly that. Those with a thick tissue biotype normally have a thick buccal plate. Um, but much more importantly, the converse is true. Those with a very, very thin um, mucosal biotype usually have a paper-thin um, buccal plate. And they're the ones that are very um, high risk. And um, certainly, if you were trying this without uh, an experienced pair of hands, um, I would avoid, uh, stay away from those, those high risk, you know, thin biotype cases at this stage. They're the ones that make you think a little bit more. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So of course people will be thinking, um, 
you know, is this a, a technique that I can I can try out? But what happens if something goes wrong? So of course we've got to come on to talk about uh, complications, Simon. So in your experience, what should people be aware of? Um, how can they manage complications? But I suppose more importantly, how can they avoid complications with bridge preservation? Yeah, in my experience and so in my students, the there's there's two main errors that that people make. The first one is that they don't ensure there's a good blood clot in the in the socket or that all the bioos is covered in blood. If it's just granules when you when you leave it there, it's likely then just to be granules when you um, when you go back in there. So I can't stress how important having that socket nice and full of blood and the blood mixed in with the, the granules when they're in the socket. Um, so that's number one. And number two, if you really pack the granules in very densely, like you're packing amalgam, for example, not only will you destroy the crystalline structure of the granules, which is critical um, to their function, you'll also cause a lot of pain. And there was a few cases um, where the patients had lots and lots of pain afterwards. And when we looked into it, it's because the clinicians were really packing the granules in. So you just want to tap them, uh, them down, but not to pack them in. Um, another thing to, to, to make crystal clear is um, uh, we ensure there's no soft tissue in the socket. So normally when you take a tooth out, you might have a periapical granuloma or something on the, uh, on the end of the tooth. You do have to make sure that all that is clear out of the socket first. And um, a contraindication in my view to this procedure is if there's active pus there. If there's active pus there, I won't... Um, I won't do um, uh, preservation. I will take the tooth out, curette the socket out, make sure I get a good blood clot in, and then if I need to do any augmentation as a stage procedure, I'll do it then. And do you have any experience of, of, of a dry socket? How would you manage that in this situation? Well, you don't get a dry socket per se because you, you, you fill the socket up with granules and you put a membrane over it. The problem you get is exactly what I said um, uh, in relation to the blood clot. This is the sort of same symptoms you get uh, is similar to a dry socket because you haven't got the blood clot there um, and you just the granules just sit there and they don't you know they, they don't do anything okay great I mean we've touched on it a bit but what's your experience of using different types of grafting materials in ridge preservation um, well I've used all sorts of um, different materials and um, from an outcome measure if you look at the evidence um, there's very little difference um, in terms of success of the implants and, um, and a lot of the research has been done by, by Geischlicht. By um, so my main go-to um, bone material is, um, is BIOS. But equally, if I have a patient which doesn't want to use BIOS for cultural reasons or religious reasons or something, um, I'm not too concerned um, what I use, and there's no evidence to say that one material is any better than another. Okay, and, and just to sort of put it all together, Simon, uh, alveolar ridge preservation, what are the critical success factors? You know, what have you absolutely got to get right to ensure a su successful outcome? I can't stress enough that the most critical factor, in my view, is the blood clot in the socket mixed you know, with, with the granules. So the granules are there, they're all covered in blood, and that clot for a number, whole number of reasons, not only um, uh, membrane stability. Um, so that's number one. Um, and number two, I guess, is, is the site assessment, doing it in the appropriate uh, patient in the appropriate 
um, in the appropriate um, site. And I suppose I mean by that, uh, not not um, placing it where there's um, infected material. Okay, great. And, and what advice would you give to a general dentist looking to find out more about this topic and to advance their skills in relation to implants? Potentially, what courses and support could they access through ICE, for example? Yeah, yeah. So we um, we run uh, day courses on ridge preservation, and um, of course, it's a key part of um, of any of our implant courses that we run. Um, we always say that, that uh, in implant dentistry, the, the implant procedure starts with the extraction of the tooth, um, because how you manage that, uh, as you correctly said earlier on, can, can dictate the, the overall outcome and also the procedures that are needed to achieve that outcome. Fantastic, Simon. I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you for joining us for this uh, first episode of the podcast. Really appreciate your time, Professor Simon Wright. Thank you very much.